Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you. I, one person, like, no. Happy New Year. Oh, mercy. Okay, people, are we Christians or Gregorians? Like, what's the deal here? Seriously. Like, like okay, here, here's, we're already weird. You're weird. You're here in church. Like, you came to church to mo this morning. The world already thinks you're crazy. So go all in on being crazy. We don't live by Gregorian standards, right? Well, we, we do. I mean, that's how the world functions. But we're Christians. We live differently. We organize and order our lives differently. And today, for us as Christians, it's our new year. So happy new year. Happy new year. All right. Now, at least you're pandering to the pastor. I appreciate that. Because um, that's the deal, friends. Let's go all in. It's Advent. It's the kickoff to the Christian year. And maybe you know and love Advent. Maybe this is going to be your first time actually hearing about Advent, but you're here, so go all in. Go all in this year, right now, on Advent. Advent is our season of remembering, as we already lit a candle, the hope candle, the hope that we have that Jesus came and Jesus is coming again, the peace that we have. And like we prayed last week, in a world torn apart by war, literal shootings in clubs down the road and in Walmarts on the other side of the country, we need to pray for peace and be a people of peace. We need joy, my friends. I can never get too much joy. Amen. Amen. Give me some of that joy. And we need the love of Christ alive in our church, in our lives, in our world. And of course, then on Christmas, we are going to celebrate the birth of Christ and all that means. So this is our time to go all in. Advent is Latin for arrival. So you could say like, I'm waiting for the advent of my Amazon package that I ordered, you know, on, on Black Friday. But that would sound weird, wouldn't it? Well, maybe you want to sound weird. I don't know. But because we know that advent isn't just like something is arriving. It's it's to be infused with something more. It's to be filled with more meaning and purpose and a direction for life. We are celebrating the advent of Jesus Christ, the arrival of the promised one, God with us, Emmanuel, the wonderful counselor, almighty God, the Prince of Peace, our everlasting father in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Now, the, uh, well, but, it, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Advent is also that Christ can arrive in our lives here and now by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be celebrating communion in a little bit. And this is another way that Christ arrives into our very selves. And of course, this is pointing us towards the promised arrival of Christ in his second coming. And it just makes sense if we take a step back and we think about it. Christians centuries before were pretty astute people. They had a couple things figured out. They weren't these like primitive ancients who knew nothing. They got the whole trajectory. And they wanted all of us to lean into it deeply. They wanted us to be able to say that Christ fulfilled the promise that God would come to us gives us actual tangible proof and evidence, facts, so to speak, that Christ will keep arriving into our lives by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we have all the more reason to believe and be a, be a people who hope that he will arrive again as promised. And so 
Christ arrived 2,000 years ago. He is arriving. He is adventing into our lives here and now when we welcome and embrace him. And we are hoping that he will advent. He will arrive before I'm done preaching. Jesus, right now, here and now, if you want to cut me off at any point, you're welcome. I got no problem with that. We want Christ to come again. Amen, friends? I'm really excited for Advent this season. One, because we're turning over to the new lectionary calendar. The lectionary is a series of readings, the Old Testament, a psalm, an epistle reading, and a gospel reading that in three years would basically take you through all of the Bible. And what I really like about this year is it's kind of turning back around to year A. Because when I think back to the first, um, well, the recent history of year A, we were stepping into year A in uh, end of 2019 and beginning of 2020. That wasn't such a great time <laughs> for our world, for everybody. But I know for me, I'll just speak for myself here, I'm kind of excited now in a sense three years later to be turning over in the calendar again. I'm excited for some new things, for some fresh things, for some exciting things in my own life. I've had a number of transitions in my own life I am 120th of a millennium years old now. I say that because it sounds better than 50. 120th sounds really young still, but I'm 50, I'm an empty nester now. A lot of changes and transitions in my own life, and I'm just really excited for this fresh new season, this fresh new start, this new Christian year. Are you with me, friends? You with me? Uh, amen, all right. If you're not, well, you're here anyway, so maybe I'll win you over before the end of the day. We're going to start with our first Advent reading here um, from the Gospel of Matthew. If you're expecting um, swaddling clothes and mangers, we're not there yet. In order to get there, we kind of have to point ahead. And so we're going to jump all the way to Matthew chapter 24, starting here in verse 36. And again, if you're not familiar with Advent, you're going to be like, what? <laughs> why? <laughs> why this Bible reading? Hopefully it's all going to make sense and be very meaningful before uh, you leave here today. About that day or hour, this expected advent of Jesus, uh, no one knows, <laughs> no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken away, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken away, the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Say, keep watch. Thank you, you're still with me. Keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of our Lord. You're doing it wrong. Oh, I know. If you're like, all right, I'm already being offensive here. You're doing it wrong. I'm going to speak to myself, and if you want to listen in on it, this is the reality, that a lot of us are just simply doing it wrong. 
as we come into the Advent season, this Christmas season, we start to ramp up our game, but the focus seems to be on the things that need to be done, be done the, the, the office Christmas party, uh, the family gift exchange, the travel arrangements that have to happen, uh, the, the baking of the fruitcakes, if that's a part of your life. I don't know. I mean, we have all of these things that start to weigh on us and overwhelm us. And in the course of that, we kind of miss the point. We kind of lose focus. Now, I'm probably not saying anything that you haven't heard or heard a preacher talk about or figured out in your own life. It is so easy to miss the meaning, the reason for the season as we see the bumper stickers. And there's a whole lot of truth to that. We, we can miss the meaning of Christmas. We can miss the reason for the season. There is, in fact, a war on Christmas. Now, let me say a thing about that because... Here's what I'm going to mean about this. We've all heard about this war on Christmas. And in some ways, sure, maybe there's a war on Christmas. I always like to say that I, I'm preaching the gospel. We are online. We are promoting Jesus Christ out in our community. We are not a persecuted people. I've never wished somebody a Merry Christmas and been punched, spat on, had my hair pulled out, been kicked out of. I, there, there's no war on Christmas. Quit crying wolf Christians. Quit, quit whining about things that aren't real. Quit acting like victims. I hope all of you are like, no, not me. I'm maybe just speaking to the world out there that frustrates me sometimes. There's no war like that on Christmas. We enjoy all the freedoms we've ever had. Take advantage of them. Share the good news and the love of Jesus Christ with the world. Jesus in this strange particular passage is pointing us to the real war on because the real war on Christmas, the real war on Christ arriving and living and being a part of our lives is an internal war. That's a war of distraction. That's a war of consumerism. That's a war of materialism. That's a world of pursuing the lusts in the, of the world. It's, it's a war being waged on becoming slothful as we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. The war in so many ways is actually going on in here. And that's what Jesus was warning about some 2,000 years ago. Isn't that crazy? 2,000 years ago, before all the war that we say and pretend is happening is going on, Jesus was telling us about the real war that would be waged in the hearts and the minds of men and women. The war that would say, I'm going to just let you think that you can just, well, he gets into it right here, just to lose your watch to get tired of the weight, to get distracted by the things of the world that will draw you away from my imminent return. And so Advent is our call to get back on track with what Jesus Christ is calling us to do in this season of waiting and watching. And as I reflected upon it this past week, thinking about us as a community moving into the Christmas season, it, it did just strike me how Waiting and watching, what the Advent season is all about, is all over the fingerprints of the whole Christmas story. Elizabeth and Zechariah were waiting and watching and hoping and praying for a child. And their wait and their watch was rewarded and their faith rewarded with the birth of John the Baptist. It says that Mary was watching and waiting for the work of God to be revealed. as She received God's blessing on her life. 
even as we look past then the, the, the Christmas story we, we hear about and we'll talk about it into the act other new year about a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna and it says that they were patiently waiting and watching. They were watching for God's promised one and they rejoiced when they met Jesus Christ. The shepherds were waiting and watching their fields at night. The Magi were watching the stars, looking for signs, and God actually used those signs from the creation to draw them to the creator, to Jesus Christ. We have these figure, fingerprints of waiting and watching attentively all over the Christmas story. And that's why Christians years ago, centuries ago, came up with this whole season of saying, let's join with Elizabeth, let's join with Zechariah, let's join with Anna and Simeon, let's join with those shepherds, let's join with the Magi, let's join with these people and let's be attentively watching for God to be revealed and God is still revealing himself in our world and in our lives. Amen, friends? Let me come back to that with some applications that I hope will be meaningful for you and let's do a little bit of textual work because I always have to make my seminary education worth the money. So couple textual points here. What's going on with this passage? The first thing that we, no we note about this is, let me just cut to the point. Let me just cut to the point. If any preachers dressed in wolf's clothing start talking about Jesus coming and coming on a certain date, certain time, a certain event, please don't listen or, or, or even just call them out as charlatans and frauds and false prophets. I mean, it could not be more plain in this text. The angels don't know. I don't even know, says Jesus, in his incarnate flesh, in my state of humiliation, which what his incarnation was. He says, I don't even know, only the Father knows. It's up to us then to simply be waiting and watching faithfully. So if charlatans and frauds start calling out times and dates and places, just don't buy it. Please don't be a deceived people. I think more and more Christians are being a deceived people by charlatans. It does get me fired up. I'll try not to be like the angry preacher right now, but it does upset me tremendously because I see it actually destroying people's true faith in Christ. But I get it. I will say this, I get it. It's, it's cool to be let in on a secret, right? I would like to know the future. And I most certainly want to be a part of the generation that sees Christ return. Absolutely, hallelujah, and amen. And we should all want to be a part of the generation that sees Christ return. Anybody going to argue that? No, we, we, we need to be that people. But we don't know the time and the date. But you know what we have? You know what we do know? You know what we know absolutely, beyond any shadow of a doubt, is that we're one day closer today. And that's enough. That's the whole point of this. We're one day closer today, and that's enough. That's not just enough. That's more than enough. God is telling us this. With each and every passing day that I don't return, my return is closer, and therefore you should be all the more eagerly expectant and waiting and watching. Since one day more passed, you have all the more reason to say it's closer. It's closer, so hallelujah and amen, and that's enough, and that's what we're given, and, and it's actually more than enough. It's more than enough to inspire faithfulness and waiting and watching with eager expectation. It should be more than enough to give us cause to do all the things that we are called to do, to be diligent in our work of loving God and loving neighbor and serving them as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So, again, anybody, 
who just reveals himself to be a charlatan and a fraud, disregard them or rebuke them, whatever the situation might call for. Second textual point, this is so misinterpreted and misunderstood. We talked about this when we talked about eschatology and end times in our creation series and what we have been told about things to come. And people just, I don't get how many people, I shouldn't say people, I'm gonna, again, I'll, I'll blame charlatans and frauds. Um, they, they, just, they just preach it wrong. They just preach this wrong. Okay, it talks about as in the days of Noah, and it says that people were swept away, they were taken away. Who was taken away? And we'll just put it this way, and you know, the, the terminology isn't the best, but who was taken away? The good guys or the bad guys? The bad guys. Noah and his family were the good guys. They were saved along with the animals. And the bad guys, the wickedness, the sinners, the sinful, they were swept away. And then what does it say when two men are in a field? Who gets taken away? Well, what we can infer then, if the evil and the wickedness was swept away, when Jesus comes back, who gets taken away? The evil one. Whenever two women are working at the mill, who gets taken away? The wicked one. The people that are left are us because when Jesus comes, he's bringing with him his kingdom and he's bringing with him justice. He's bringing with him shalom. He's bringing with him the promise. And he doesn't take us away. He takes away all the bad. He takes all the tears. He takes all the wickedness. He takes all the sin. He takes away everything that holds us away and apart from him. And he brings the kingdom that he has promised. It's the fulfillment of what we pray, what we just prayed. Your kingdom come. His kingdom finally comes. So don't misinterpret this passage that somehow we're hoping to be swept away. No, we will rejoice when everything that isn't of God is swept away. And we reign for him forever in his eternal kingdom. Do you get it? Does it make sense? I don't, I don't know. People just get it backwards. So stop getting it backwards. Okay, so those are my two textual points. Now back to trying to make this actually apply to ourselves. This is a story about waiting and watching faithfully. When I did go to seminary, it was in uh, the North Shore of the Boston area. I loved my, my two years up there. I could jump on my bike and I could jump on uh, Highway 127 and I could bike through Gloucester and Manchester by the sea and Essex and all, all these beautiful, beautiful historic places. And one of the things that you'd see there is the old architecture. And in these old um, kind of shoreline cottage homes, you'd see the roof would be flat and there'd actually be a railing around the top. Do you know what that was called? The widow's watch, that's right. There's a story told Maybe it's folklore, maybe it's based on some reality <clears throat> of a ship coming in. And it wasn't just the wives who would be waiting and watching, it would be the sailors themselves. And uh, as they'd get closer, there'd be a guy up on that crow's nest, you know, with that, I don't know, that periscope or whatever that thing is. And as the story goes, the watchman was then calling out, I see Dave's Anna at the shore, you know. I, I, I see Bob's uh, Susan, I see, I see uh, Joel's Lisa, I see, you know, and they, the men would get excited. One sailor was eagerly waiting for his wife's name to be called, but her name was never called. He actually grew quite concerned then. He got to the shore and then as fast as he could, he, he grabbed all his belongings and he, and he ran up the hill and he ran down the street and he finally got to his house and there he found his wife. And she said, oh, I, I've been waiting for you. And he said, I know, dear, I know you've been waiting for me, but the other men's wives were watching for them. 
I, uh, I relate to this on many levels because almost every day I, I come home from work and I ride my bike and I, and I pull my bike into my driveway there and we have this beautiful bay window in my home if you've ever been there. And my dog, Indy, is always sitting there. He's always sitting there and he's not just waiting for me. He's, he's always watching. And I open the door and he comes running up and he's barking and he's up, oh, and it's so good. And then I look over and I see Robin and she often says just, I was waiting for you. Just wait, just, just waiting, just. But my dog is watching. Okay, okay. There's a difference between just waiting and watching, eagerly anticipating, knowing the promise of the return is right around the corner. And that's what Jesus is saying. My friends, don't lose heart. The promise of my turn, truly, it's truly right around the corner. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by the things of the world. Don't be distracted by the things of this season. Let them only serve to heighten your anticipation of what is promised in my return. I always like to think about it like this. Uh, Madeline Engel in one of her books talks about the difference between idols and icons. And I've just found it such a useful, useful metaphor for so much of life. An idol is something that draws all the attention and all the worship to itself. But an icon is to draw your attention and then point past it on to the creator. You could draw your attention to the stained glass window and say, that's a great stained glass window. Or you could look through the window and say, the God whose light shines eternal shines through that and his cross casts its shadow upon us who gather and worship today. You can give all your attention to the idol or you can make it an icon and see past it. Do that this Christmas. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by all the trees and the lights and the gift giving and the travel and all those good things, but allow every one of those to point past itself and onto the deeper meaning and purpose of Christmas, the arrival of the Christ, and let that grow your eager anticipation of what has been promised in his return. There's a lot we could do to reflect upon kind of what does, what does watching look like. Just a couple things, and then we could talk about it more as the season goes on, because the season is, you know, four weeks and then our Christmas celebration. But we watch because we've been given a promise. First, we know the promise has been fulfilled in Christ's first coming. We know that the promise is being fulfilled in the Holy Spirit arriving in our lives. And this gives us reason to have hope in the promise that he will return. There is substance to the promise. We don't wait on nothing. We don't wait without reason. We don't wait in a sense without evidence. We don't wait without signposts that are already pointing us to his return, right? So keep leaning into those promises. The other thing is we, we need to wait patiently. Impatient people try to jump ahead. Impatient people try to set times and dates that have been given to us. Impatient people get distracted with the things of the world. Patient people, patient people, they can weather the storms. They can go through the ups and downs. They can have the hard seasons and know that there's hope on the other side. They can have the hard conversations and get through it because they're patiently, patiently waiting. God commends patience as one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of our virtues as people of faith. Wait patiently for his return. 
And the last thing is that we wait with other people. We wait with community. I'm going to preach on this later because I've just been so struck with the story of Mary and Elizabeth and how they waited and they watched together and they formed this first little Christian community. The for, first little Christian community that we really actually see is Mary and Elizabeth coming together and encouraging and supporting and celebrating and worshiping together. And it's, and it's just such a beautiful thing. So part of our waiting and watching, yes, we, we, we do it because we have a promise and we do it patiently, but do it with other people because other people will encourage you through those difficult times. I want to end here with a story. And it's a story actually not by me, by Leo Tolstoy in uh, his um, wonderful little, it's a little poem almost, a little story called Where Love Is, God Is. And as the story um, transpires, as, as the story he writes is told, it's about a cobbler. And this cobbler, the shoemaker, is given a dream. And in the dream, Christ appears to him and he says, I promise that I will come to your shop. And so he wakes up and with eagerness and excitement and joy, he prepares the way for Christ to arrive. He makes the best pair of shoes he's ever made as a cobbler. He prepares a meal for Jesus Christ to arrive and he prepares a room for him to stay. And as the course of the day goes on, a beggar comes in and he notices the beggar has no shoes on. And so seeing no other course of action, he says, well, I can always make another pair. So he gives the beggar the shoes. And more hours go by and the meal is starting to get cold. But then a woman comes in who says that she hasn't eaten. And he says, well, I suppose you could share this meal that I had prepared for Jesus Christ. And they share the meal together. And as the sun is setting, he thinks surely Christ is not going to appear. And then he hears another knock on the door. But this time it's just the homeless child with nowhere to stay. So he says, well, it's the end of the day. I guess I have no other course of action. So he invites the orphan child to stay in the room that he prepared. And he went to bed a little dejected that night. But then he had another dream that night. And this is what Christ told him. Leo Tolstoy's words, not mine. I'm not this good. Three times I came to your open door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the beggar with bruised feet. I was the widow you gave food to eat. I was the orphan child on the street. That guy's good. <laughs> that guy's good. Well, I want to invite the band to come forward so they can give us some inspiration while we now enter into our season of waiting and watching faithfully, trusting that we can be his hands and feet. And maybe the beggar is gonna come across our door at the Winter Shelter Network and we can bring warmth to their cold and bruised feet. Maybe we can take a meal or a toy to our neighbors across the street and brighten their holiday season. Maybe we can even take people in and shelter them when they've been left on the street. Because whenever we do these things, we are showing that we are waiting and we are watching patiently and faithfully until Christ returns. And as I alluded to earlier, one of the great things that God has given us is a tangible way to remember this promise that he has in store for us. Because he says, I can still arrive in your lives when you invite me in, when you welcome me to the open door of your lives. You can welcome me in every time you come to the table that I open for you. Because we know that Jesus Christ 
on the night that he would be betrayed, after giving thanks to God, he took a loaf of bread and he lifted it up and he broke it and he told his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he lifted it up and said, this cup is now the new covenant that is sealed in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle Paul made it abundantly clear for us when he told us that know every time that you are going to eat of this bread and drink of this cup, as you do this as the community, as the body of Christ, you are proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of our living Lord until he comes again. And my people, the whole point of this is to remember that he will come again. Amen, friends? Amen.